Lately, I've noticed a running joke from audio producers on social media. It varies a bit from one joke to the next, but it's always in the vein of producers having a hard time explaining to others what they do for a living. I've experienced my own version of that, and I think it's because producers tend to wear many different hats, and that role can change quite a bit from one project to another. It could be anything from coordinating guest interviews, editing audio, doing sound design, research for different stories, setting up a website, really anything that needs to be done. Producers might not always get a ton of credit, but they're usually a big part of making a good podcast happen. Now, you may be at a point in your journey where you're thinking of bringing on a producer, but you're not quite sure what they can bring to the table. On the flip side, maybe you're finding out that you're actually pretty good at this podcasting thing and want to share your skills to help others and maybe make a bit of extra money. Either way, my conversation with Alex Lewis, a super talented audio producer and musician, might prove to be useful. I'm often like, I want to make the podcast world of this, or I want to bring the world of, of what's happening here into this narrative project I'm working on, because there's something about it that I think could be really, really useful, or that is uh, emoting something that I want to get at in this thing that is completely unrelated, has no, you know, if I'm thinking of like, what is the world of this John Coltrane or Bill Evans recording, and I'm working on something that's just voices uh, or something like that. I don't always know what that means, but just to your point, I think taking inspiration from other mediums and, and just things in the world is really, really important and helpful. Before we get into that, I want to share something with you that we're pretty excited about at Castos. Through our app, you can create a subscription-based podcast thanks to our partnership with Stripe. Using our new integrative tool, you can create a private podcast and accept payments directly from your listeners. No more clunky third-party ad algorithms that don't actually generate income. Oh, and forget about a middleman taking a 30% cut. It's a direct payment from your audience to you. Simple. Learn more at castos.com, also linked in the show notes. So Alex Lewis got his start in public radio working with NPR and the BBC. He's also worked with Magnificent Noise, you know, the company that Eric Newsom founded, and has also collaborated with Audible. Alex has received an Edward R. Murrow Award and was nominated for a Peabody for his work. Now, he runs Row Home Productions, an audio production company based in Philadelphia. He and I spent a long time chatting about the importance of structure, narrative, sound design, and ultimately, why bringing an experienced audio producer onto a project can make a huge difference. Granted, we're both biased because we're both producers, but still, I think it's worth a listen. We're going to eavesdrop in on the conversation, but I first want to make the point that I'm really glad to have spoken with Alex because he comes from the world of radio and making music, so his experience aligns with my philosophy of borrowing from other mediums to make a podcast. like to describe myself more as an audio storyteller, or I'd like to describe Roholm's work as narrative audio productions, because there is this through line between all of these things, whether it's, and I think you're right, like podcasting to me is a, is a medium, and the radio is a medium, and an audio tour is a medium, or a sound installation is a medium through which <laughs> a sound production, con- sound content th- flows through. 
And so um, at a level, you can go back to the same toolkit again and again. Yes, it's important to keep your medium in mind. Just as an example, going from being a public radio producer, making the afternoon news show, which is on a very tight schedule, has a very specific format of it, to going to a podcast format, uh, which you know potentially could be infinitely long if you want, uh, and have no and have no format. Uh, I mean, these these are things to to consider in what you're making. But for me, these things all start with it all starts with sound and how to and how to play with it and manipulate it and uh, using microphones and using your DAW and uh, and considering yeah, I mean, all these things that just go into sound production. Probably the thing that I offer that is most valuable is thinking through structure, both narrative structure, project structure, and that can kind of, I mean, I could easily dovetail this into a talk about sound design, where again, you could start talking about plugins and reverb and uh, sound libraries. But I think the first thing you really need to think about is like, what is the macro concept of my, of my, uh, of the thing I'm trying to make? Uh, And can I describe it in words? Can I write it down on paper? And so uh, before we dive into that, whether it's sound design or story slash narrative or your project in general, I think thinking through these macro level concepts and kind of having a good idea of, of what works and what your options are is probably what I'm good at. I like that you mentioned structure. Structure for a podcast is very important. I, I use the analogy, think about like your favorite book that you've ever read. All right. Imagine it's 500 pages long. Now imagine there's no page numbers, there's no chapter breaks, there's not even paragraphs, there's not a table of contents, there's nothing. Now, there's going to be some really good information in that book, but you're not going to be able to really process it as well versus, you know, if, you know, just imagine, again, if like the author just kind of handed you like a manuscript without much structure, right? That's what publishers and editors do for an author. They package it up, they get a cool cover, they provide you know that author with the opportunity of like here's how we're going to present it to the public and i think as podcast producers we do the same thing in our own way and you mentioned adding structure to shows and and so music and sound design is a big part of that structure and there's a lot of ways you can think about it does music help you tell the story is it providing just chapters and segment breaks within the episode and those are the kinds of decisions that producers and sound designers have to make that not everyone who's new to podcasting is going to have a great sense of and you can't really in my opinion you really can't work backwards from that you can't just listen to something like serial would be a good a good example or, or any you know insert any narrative there and decide hey i want it to sound like that i think almost you have to make a lot of the podcasts and then a sound designer can go in and decide all right what do we need here so i i'm, I'm sort of curious um i i listened sort of in, in my research for this i was listening to uh, how's work I know you mixed and, and produced that one. That's a and that's a great podcast. And if you could maybe describe like you know your approach to doing something like that versus maybe something more immersive where music tells part of the story. That's a great example because I really was hired by Magnificent Noise to do sound design on on the first season of How's Work. And most projects I do, I'm kind of brought in well before that stage where they're like help us conceptualize, help us make the whole thing from from the start. And and uh, this was something where the the show is already more or less laid out. They're like, we've done all these interviews. We've we've actually already edited 
for the most part, these conversations. We have the Pro Tools sessions ready to go, but we there's no music, there's no rhythm, there's no flow yet, and we need help thinking through that. And this was the time when uh, their company, Magnificent Noise, was a little bit smaller, too, and didn't have as much capacities. So that was a reason why um, they reached out to me. And so I basically got um, sent a number of these episodes, uh, again, that were edited for content, like the, the raw content had been edited, you know, the conversation Esther was having with the guests, um, and her voiceovers were also recorded already, but there was nothing else to them. You know, they're more or less unmixed, uh, no music. And what I really appreciated is that Jesse Baker, their executive producer, was very open to just like, I, you know, based on your past work, I trust that you can come up with something that will work for this. Um, and very quickly, uh, and this is partly based on my experience, also listening to uh, Where Should We Begin, um, Esther's most popular show. I was like, they're probably, as you as you hit the nail on the head, I'm like, this probably only requires a really light touch because the conversations are so powerful. Her voice is so unique. Um, her writing is actually really, really good too. And so there's like, there's already this really strong structure to it. There's already something, and and it's already so immersive, almost without music. But the role of sound design here, um, again, as you mentioned, is to lightly signpost uh, a, a few things. One, just on a, on a kind of a pragmatic basis, signposting when when transitions are going to happen. And I, and I think this can be subconscious, uh, or hopefully it becomes a little bit, it's not so, so noticeable, but kind of signaling, like, this is, we're reaching the end of this opening monologue, this opening voiceover, and we're, we're about to get into, um, into the space of the, of the, con- of the therapy conversation. And then similarly towards the end of each of those segments, you know, from back from the therapy session into the VO, from the therapy session to the end, uh, and kind of giving that signpost. So, um, there's that feeling like we're moving along, but then also to signpost, you know, using music and, and silence and, and, and the rhythm of the mix to emphasize aspects of the conversation, points that are being made that you really want someone to pay attention to. Most people listen to podcasts while they're doing something else. In a way, that's the beauty of the, of the medium. Um, you know, cooking, driving, walking around, etc. And And while, you know, especially with Esther Perel, you're probably paying pretty close attention. I think sometimes these things can kind of wash over you uh, in, in a way where you're like at the end of the at end of listening, you could, you can feel like I got it. Like I, and I could tell you what it was about, but using sound design to signpost things that are really important or, or just parts of the episode that you really want someone to, to pay special attention to. I think that's a really important, that's really important and a, and a way to kind of transcend just that washing overness of, of uh, the lulling of your podcast feed uh, and, and and kind of bring listeners someplace else. I think that's why the order of operations matter a lot. Um, I think, again, you know, you talk about people have this kind of finished product in their mind. And, and I think on some level you do want to have, I think, some sort of North Star of where you want to get. I, I don't think that's wrong. But I, but, I, but I like that you said, you know, you were able to go in and listen to these already curated conversations and then from there decide, all right, this is important. Here's where a transition is. And then we're going to use music to tee that up. I think that's the importance of when you confuse these two, the, the, these, these two formats together, uh, like 
people chatting and and narrative i think it's it's not a bi you know it's not a binary of it's one or the other you can use the best of both i mean narrative podcasts are hard to make you've made a lot of them it's i think in my opinion the hardest thing in podcasting to do the q a is a little bit easy because you're leaning on you know the conversation really to to make your to, to make your final your, your final presentation um but the way the way esther fuses those together and and, and i love that where you can Again, that's where like your skills as a radio producer come in because you can decide, and the people you know who helped out with that show and curated those and edited those conversations decided we don't need all of this. We don't need it's not a direct to tape type show. But again, going back after the conversation has happened and adding music, that lets you decide. All right, here's the part of the conversation we want to be able to focus on. We want to use music to cue up an important idea for the listener. You're right that there's not a total binary between we'll call it chat shows and, and narrative shows. The example that I often give, uh, so my my business partner at Rohome, John uh, Myers, he worked at Fresh Air uh, with Terry Gross for many, many years. And ostensibly, it's Terry talking to one person. Uh, but if you listen to the credits of the show, there's usually at least a dozen producers' names following her name. And every interview they do goes through an intense editing process where they um, take the interviews, uh, the raw interviews, which they've heavily prepared for. And and as a group, usually one or two people, I think, are in charge of the initial edit. But then the whole team kind of gives feedback on where to move things around to make that conversation flow as seamlessly and as meaningfully as possible. Uh, and I'm not saying that everyone's show needs 10 producers, but I think that just shows you, you know, to make a show uh, and a chat show that that is at that level um, takes a high level of of thought and you kind of end up using these narrative structural storytelling skills, um, whether it's a chat show or uh, a narrative documentary. Yeah. And I think it's it's that Terry Gross is a great example. I mean, I think. I mean, I mean, if you were to make a, a list of the best interviewers ever, she's on the short list of them, no doubt. And, I, and I'm glad you brought that point up because I think he also mentioned like Mark Marin earlier. I mean, what feels like an off-the-cuff conversation, what feels like an intimate conversation unfolding is, is still, I think, and I don't mean this pejoratively, is still pretty contrived. You know, he's working, Brendan McDonald's one of the best, I think, producers in, in the industry. And the, the work is stuff you don't see a lot of times, whether it's just, whether it's Mark just like, reading uh you know like a book that the guests re- uh, wrote whether it's it's watching their films whether it's pulling from a dynamic that already exists whether it's his decades of experience as a stand-up comedian that allow him to just kind of you know pivot during conversations that take unexpected turns um those, those are the types of things maybe that that aren't always very evident to a listener but it's it's work you're pulling from so it's sometimes it's it's years years of work and experience and knowledge that the result is maybe a 20 minute conversation sometimes. Yeah. I think when you can't feel or hear or see the seams of something, it it, it means that a lot of thought and experience and work has gone into it and kind of combining some of these ideas together. Like if you're listening to a podcast and and you're really noticing the music, (laughs) uh, there's kind of something that probably should change with it or if you're really think or if it really feels like you know this conversation has not been edited or thought about at all it probably it probably hasn't been but i think mark maron's a really good example and i i don't i have listened to some of their shows where they talk about their process but i i think you're totally right like he's coming into it with his own 
set of ideas about how it should go. I mean, I do think, and this is an aside in a way, like sometimes when he doesn't have as much of a plan, he does have a go-to format that he reverts to that seems to work and that guests buy into. Um, and then Brendan probably edits down into into something very, very listenable, but um, kind of coming full circle just to this idea of like coming into your show with a strong identity and a strong sense of like the structure and the format, et cetera, will is ultimately is what makes it. And I think that's what Mark Maron does. Is there something you've produced where the sound is more immersive? Because I mean, I think sound can be used. I mean, like you said, I don't think you want it to be overbearing. I don't think you want it to take away, but there are times where sound design can help tell a story. I think again, it just, it, it really hinges on, you know, the format of your, of your show, what you're trying to do. Good example would be, you know, audio dramas. I think, I think they, they, they really leverage music and sound effects. I think far more than like a narrative podcast would because, and, and, it, and it's obvious why, because, you know, when you, when you watch something on, when you watch a movie, you know, they're, they're leveraging their medium through, you know, the use of visuals. Stage actors tend to be very, you know, very animated with their gestures uh, if you're making an audio drama, all all you have is a person's ears. That's it. I mean, and so you've got to create a world, and you know you've got to create theater of the mind. So they're they're really leveraging uh, sound effects. I, I don't believe you've done any nonfiction. Or I'm sorry, any fic, uh, audio fiction. But have, have, are there any projects that, that you've done where you you just made the decision? All right, we really need more here than just little like segment breaks and music beds. Uh, short answer: Yes. I do want to say though, I take a lot of inspiration from audio fiction projects, you know, uh, listening to a show like The Truth, which is one of the first audio fiction shows I had really ever heard. Uh, and that's made by Jonathan Mitchell, you know, public, you know, that is public radio adjacent podcast. Um, or, you know, a few years ago, listening to home, the, the first season of Homecoming and, and really, again, just feeling really inspired by how immersive the sound design is and then listening to kind of the, the making of after in, in those episodes and um, hearing how they recorded with uh, Oscar Isaac and Catherine Keener in these different locations and um, and then trying to take lessons from these other shows, which are. Um, frankly, much, much more complex than anything I've made, but finding but finding lessons in them regardless. A couple of years ago, I made I worked on this radio documentary with NPR Music and WXBN uh, about the Haitian influence uh, on the culture and music of New Orleans, and it's a uh, it's basically a two hour documentary that is mostly it's hosted by this musician, this woman Layla Makala, and it's mostly just her her voice narrating voiceover and includes many, many voices from people from New Orleans and Haiti and, and elsewhere in the Haitian diaspora in the US. Um, and and while the main the main sound design in that is mostly just the sounds of the voices, the sounds of scenes, uh, I'll call it like the diegetic sounds, the sounds that are happening uh, actually where the voices are and, and with music, there are a couple moments in there that where I, I feel like I finally had the opportunity to bring into this like very nonfiction historical audio documentary um, format um, some some more conceptual sound design. But I think one thing I'd I'd want to say is and, and take one step back, kind of coming into into those parts of that particular project, um, and I'd say this in general for any project, you kind of want to come up with a big picture macro concept of what is the sound design identity of this 
thing I'm working on. You know, is this Radio Lab? Does it, is there like a million things happening? Is it is it are there really quick cuts? Is there am I using lots of reverb and reversing or or whatever? Am I am I is this going to be something that's really it's like ear candy in this one way? Or is this a more subtle, does this thing require more subtle sound design? Is it mostly voice forward? Um, what is the identity of the music? I mean, music is, a, is obviously an essential part of sound design. Is the music mostly acoustic instruments? Is it electric, electronic instruments? How does the host of my show, um, what kind of timbres work with their voice and the energy and the vibe and the content of my show? I could kind of go on and on with these questions, but I think this is such an essential question for anyone to ask and, and to and to really get down on paper. Like, uh, you know, you should be, I think you should be able to write like a, a short essay about this is the sound design identity of what I want to do. Because then from there, uh, it becomes much easier to make decisions uh, going forward. And I think, uh, I can't give any examples, and maybe I wouldn't anyway, <laughs> but sometimes you can you can listen to a, uh, a podcast episode or a show and it's seemingly you know it moves through so many different identities like like one five minute chunk will be will sound really wild <laughs> and have lots of stuff going on but then you'll hear just like one voice for for a long time and and you kind of it can kind of bring you out of it as a listener because you're like i don't really understand the identity of what this is trying to be and so a specific example at the beginning of, of, so the documentary about Haiti and, and New Orleans is called Carnival Haitian Rhythms and the Music of New Orleans. At the very beginning of the documentary, we have Layla, uh, the host, introduce herself. And it's kind of a dual, trying, we're trying to do two things at the beginning, having the, have the listener buy into why you should go along the journey with her and her connection to the story and just introducing the, the idea of the documentary itself. Uh, and so in collaboration with her, um, we kind of wrote this opening scene uh, where she sees these connections between her now home city of New Orleans and where her family is from in, in Haiti. And we kind of, she kind of mentions the, the sites and the architecture and food. And, and so we bring in kind of subtle examples of those that kind of went along with music and some field recordings and, um, and her voice and her writing kind of come together to create uh, what I consider a very beautiful opening scene. All right, so show versus tell, right? Let's take a listen to that opening sequence from the audio documentary Carnival, presented by WXPN in Philadelphia. You're listening to Carnival, Haitian rhythms and the music of New Orleans. I'm Layla McCalla. I'll never forget going to Cap Haitien for the first time. It's a beautiful coastal city in the north of Haiti, where colorful facades feature arched doors and overhanging balconies. I remember thinking, this looks like the French Quarter. Or wait a minute, does the French Quarter look like Capaïcien? As a Haitian-American who lives in New Orleans, I often sense these moments of recognition. The sound of a drum or horn, the aroma from a kitchen, the look of the food. I think this is reinforcing this point that, um, yes, there's like 
given that there are infinite choices, A, there are no right ways to do, to do this and, and you have so many options. Um, but also just to say, you know, you just need to try different things out and that kind of will lead you to the answer of like what, what you feel the identity should be of your project. I'm just kind of curious, you know, your, your background as a musician. I mean, that in and of itself is, for some people, a lifelong pursuit. You've managed to be a musician, a reporter, a producer, an editor, a writer, a founder of a company. Um, so we're, we're, I mean, obviously we've talked about how, how music uh, like fits into all that, but I'm just sort of curious about your, your personal background with music. How'd you get interested in it? When'd you start? What, what instruments do you play? <laughs> My parents started me on Suzuki violin when I was two years old. Um I didn't like it, uh, and uh, you know how much you know. Who knows? Uh, and then when I was five, my parents were like, "Okay, you don't have to play the violin anymore, but you have to choose an instrument." And I chose the guitar. Uh, you know, I think my favorite band was the Beatles when I was five. Maybe they still are today. I don't know. Um, especially after watching Get Back. So I, if anyone wants to talk about that with me, and I basically played guitar ever since then. I grew up studying classical guitar. Started playing in bands in middle school and high school. And this kind of quickly leads into how I got into radio. I, I got accepted to go to Northwestern to study classical guitar, actually, and uh, to be in their conservatory. Um, but very, very early on at college is when I discovered the college radio station. And I was like, I actually think I like this more than doing, doing guitar stuff or classical guitar in particular. But yeah, it, it's actually funny getting asked about this. I don't get asked about uh, specifically my music background very much, but I basically, you know, I, I play guitar every day. I play in a couple of bands here in Philadelphia. I've been lucky enough to play in, uh, in other people's groups and ensembles and go on tour. And uh, it feels it, it, it feels like it's in this hobby. It, it's like a hobby slash like semi-professional part of my life, but it's a really, really important part of who I am is um, being a guitar player. And I can relate it to being a radio producer in 2012, I did the transom story workshop, uh, rest in peace just ended, um, forever. So I, I, I applied to this workshop to basically get better at audio storytelling. And I got there and, and I certainly had a lot to learn, but one thing I, I kind of quickly realized is that I had, a, I had, I had my own kind of sense of pacing in an edit of a, of a story through being through my background in music so just making the kind of maybe maybe obvious point that i do think being a musician can really help in your podcast radio making um uh i mean sort of pragmatically because you, you might already know how to use an audio editing program uh and have some ideas about how different sounds and things fit together but i think for me most importantly kind was kind of realizing how that sense of rhythm and pacing could be used in, in, this, in this kind of other work. So things like sound design, and I guess more broadly, producing in general, can be kind of tricky. It's not like there's a one-size-fits-all for every single podcast. And sometimes for podcasters who are working really, really hard to make their shows, having an objective pair of eyes or ears on their work can be very helpful hire a sound designer to help you figure that out if you don't know how to if you don't feel 100% confident doing that yourself um but just having those conversations writing them down on pieces of paper trying different things out recording your voice a sample of what you're doing and just putting music under it and being like nope that's not it yes that is it 
is a really good place to start. But I highly recommend ha- being able to articulate that big picture, macro level identity of what you want to do before you jump into to, uh, really doing your mix and sound design because it's a lot of work <laughs> uh, and you'll feel paralyzed by the decisions. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's just so many metaphors you can bring into that, to this too. And, and we've talked about some of them, like, what is the density sparseness of sound in your show thinking about the tone as we've talked about thinking about the rhythm of your show um and i always give radio lab as the example because there's obviously lots of things moving moving you forward a lot of the time uh but maybe that's not your kind of maybe your show is something that moves at a slower pace the use of timbres you know the sounds of the instruments the sounds of just the just the general tone the use of diegetic versus non-diegetic sounds you know trying to, particularly if you're working on an audio documentary or audio fiction, et cetera, and you decide, I want this to sound, I want to really bring people to these scenes, to these places. Um, if that's an I- part of the sound design identity of your show, you should make sure you're recording sounds <laughs> in those places when you're talking, you know, gathering extra, if you're interviewing someone at the zoo, make sure you're also bringing back with you, not just that interview at the zoo, but sounds of that space so you can incorporate them into your mix later. And the last thing I just have written down is if uh, you're familiar with video or photography, you know, thinking in about close, middle, and kind of background or distant uh, perspective in your in your sound design. At the most complex uh, of sound designer mixes I've done, you know, there can be 20 or more tracks, all feeling those different perspectives to give the listener the most immersive view of, 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 of a scene. Um, and I think sometimes thinking in those kind of like photography uh, video terms can be very, really, really helpful to be like, you know, am I, am I seeing, am I getting the full picture of, of, of this? Or am I trying, am I trying to bring the listener really, really close to something like, should I put, should I, should this sound like we're, our pill, our heads are next together, next to each other on, on, on a bed? Or is this like, I'm shouting to you across the room? Uh, and so just thinking about perspective. So those are kind of my, oh, those are all the sound design thoughts I, I, I have to an extent, without getting into the details. Um, and just wanted to make sure you had them here. Uh, but otherwise, I think an answer your question, if, if anyone needs help with sound design or thinking through their podcast ideas or radio documentary ideas, uh, and don't already have someone they're working with, please feel free to reach out to us at uh, Real Home Productions here in Philadelphia. Hey there, listener, it's Matt. Before you go, I want to offer you, the aspiring podcaster, two special items. Number one, if you haven't started a podcast yet or you want to find a better podcast hosting company, start here at Castos. Use our coupon code AUDIENCE20, that's AUDIENCE20, when you sign up for a new account at castos.com. Start a podcast like the one you just heard or about gluten-free muffins, whatever it is, will help you get your podcast out into the world. Number two, did you know that our Academy is free? Enroll today for free at academy.castos.com. Get access to our courses, videos, and templates all for free. Thanks for listening to the audience podcast today. We hope we're helping you become a better podcaster. All that's left for you to do is share this episode on social media. Bye for now.